So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to the Running Rugby Podcast, international podcast of absolute rugby gold right here, coming to you live from both the UK and New Zealand. Unfortunately, I've gained one brother this week, but I've lost another. So, not coming to you from Australia this week, um, but I do have Toby with me. Toby, you're back. Yeah, mate, feeling good. Um had a good week of skiing, obviously can't complain, uh, but yeah, we're missing Leo this week, but I'm ready to go, mate, I'll, I'll fill his boots, hopefully. Yeah, you're going to help deal out a bit of bit of rugby knowledge there? Mate, I'll do my best, I'm still warming up into Super Rugby, I tell you, it's, um, it's a little hard to get into it from the other side of the world, but I've been trying to get across as many games as possible. Fair enough. Now, we are going to change up what we've been doing. I think we are a little bit predisposed to waffle on a little bit about some of these games and say the same thing week in, week out. So rather than going in-depth into every game, we're going to change it up and we're going to choose one game of the round to go in-depth for, to really examine, get down to really what happened, what those results actually do to impact the rest of the competition. And for the rest, we'll just give a bit more of a brief skim. Uh, so ho- hopefully we'll tighten everything up, shorten everything up. Let's do it, mate. So before we start, we'll just say once again, make sure you get on to all our socials at Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. See lots of extra news, lots of ever- extra content there. Uh, you can catch up with anything else you may have missed throughout the week. Um, but the game we are going to focus on this week... And we'll start off with it. And it's the Chiefs first Crusaders on Saturday afternoon. And it was a game that actually all three of us boys, we successfully tipped this one. Despite that the overwhelming odds being for the Crusaders to take this one, um, they couldn't do it. The Chiefs managed to stay level with them in the first half, defend really hard, especially right at the end of the first half, held the Crusaders out from their trademark sort of try just before half time, And then kept the momentum going, winning this one, 25-15. Yeah, and like, to be honest, when I was putting my tips for this, it was just like I felt wrong kind of tipping against the Crusaders, given, you know, their form over obviously over the last few years and and even like the way they came out and, and played against the Waratahs in week one. Like, you know, this was going on a bit of a gut feel with Cruden coming back in, McKenzie back for his game, his first game of the year. Um, look, I just had a feeling the Chiefs could do it, and you guys felt the same way. And it didn't look perfect early on, but they, yeah, they were able to um, really pull it all together in the second half there. Mm. And I mean, it made it maybe a little bit easier with the fact Richie Moanga wasn't there, um, having succumbed to a bit of an injury suffered in that first week. And in a bit of surprise, um, Scotty Robinson named David Havili for, uh, to his first five, didn't use his Brett Cameron, didn't use his 
sort of people that have had time at there coming off the bench, um, showing faith in what David Havili did the week before and having a really good sort of mark on this game. And, I mean, David Havili played really well in this, um, set up the first two tries with a kick to Severus and then a cutout pass to him um, to give the first two tries to the Crusaders. Yeah, didn't you? Were you impressed with him? I, I really thought he did well in the circumstances. I've never seen him play at 10 before, but he looked quite comfortable there, um, was directing traffic pretty well. And, you know, that's all you can ask. I, I do think maybe this game would have gone a little bit differently if, if Richie had been actually playing. But look, the Crusaders look pretty strong still, and they were able to score points early. So I don't think you can really blame the loss on David Havili himself. Um, their team still looked really strong. But it was just the Chiefs, sturdy in defense for, for most of the game, just just looked really switched on. And I don't know if having Gatlin there has kind of taken them to the next level and, and brought that real professional edge to them and something that the Crusaders have been able to do for a number of years and now the Chiefs look like they're emulating. Mm. Well, it's been two weeks in a row now of them going into the half um, down on the scoreboard, but... Um, coming out and really seeming to, I think it is partly, they seem to have more of a sense of purpose behind them and more of motivation. They seem to come out and play very much as a unit. Uh, there's no sort of feeling that individuals are trying to do it. It's very much all as a team. Their forward pack works very well all together. Um, they don't have a huge amount of big names, but Sam Kane, obviously the biggest there, t- um, teaming him up with sort of Car Pick and Jacobson in the back row and even Ardron makes them quite a mobile sort of unit. And they even had some prop injuries um, with Tarvau and a few others sort of missing here and Adamoli and had to step up in this one. And yeah, they just, they seem to just function very well to do some really good defense um, around their line and hold the Crusaders out for sort of long periods at a time. And you're right, they were missing a few guys and they've actually gone to a smaller back five, really, because you've got Tyler Ardron in the second row there. Um, you've got Mitchell Brown as well. These guys can, well, they quite often were playing in the back row last year, and they're not big locks by any means. So it's quite a mobile back five. Um, and you've got still quite an inexperienced front row. I was, I've really been impressed with Takiyaho. I think he's done really well over the, the first two games here. Yeah. Um, Lachlan Bashir like at six really taking his game to a new level this year and then you've got Karthik being a nuisance and the experience of Kane at eight so they've they've got a good balance there and I think as long as they don't get too overrun in the scrums and and there's no issues in the line out in terms of having those taller guys there I mean Brody Retallick you're always going to miss but if if the set piece can function well Mm. this forward pack look like they can you know, go to the full stretch of the season and, and keep that real mobility about them, but it's not going to impact their defense and it's not going to impact their set piece. Well, that's right. And we saw what uh, this back line can put together if they do have that stable set piece that they were getting from these guys. The first try you just saw um, off the line out in the mall and subsequent mall, they spread it wide to Cruden, do a second man play out to McKenzie. And just with his speed and pace gets enough on the outside to set up Alamalu for a try. And it just looks dangerous if you have those guys all interchanging with each other, as well as someone like Anton Lynette-Brown in there as well. 
who's both an offensive and defensive force. ALB is just, he just looks like a seasoned professional now, really confident in what he's doing, just calm, making good decisions. I think this the time in the All Blacks jersey now has really brought him to the forefront of um, the centres in New Zealand. And it's taken a few years for him just to be consistent, um, but we've known he's always had talent. So I think, again, he's he started the season really well. Another guy I want to mention, Teo Rangi. I just think, you know, he's he's someone who's never got enough time in Super Rugby. And we've seen him be selected as the third halfback for the All Blacks um, over the course of the last, say, yeah. two or three years. He missed out on the, the World Cup squad. But it looks like now that, you know, I don't know if Weber's going to lock down that number nine spot long term, but they seem determined to give Talia Arangi a lot more time in yeah. the jersey. And I think that's doing him some good. Like, he's playing at least 60 minutes a week, and um, hopefully that continues because I think the guy's got a lot of talent. Yeah, though, I mean, they're obviously blessed with a good sort of selection between him and Weber. Weber obviously getting on late um, and managing to set up the final try that really sealed it for the Chiefs uh, in this one. There's to scamper to the side of the ruck, gets brings in two with the tackle and pops it around the corner to Sean Wainui as well, so... Um, he obviously is a guy that can come on late and spark something as well. Yeah, wealth of talent there. And having seen Brad Weber just really only just clinch his All Blacks opportunity, it seems strange now that they go back to Tayarangi. But, you know, they're, they're probably two guys that are going to share the jersey pretty well over the course of the season. Um, love seeing Cruden back. Um, I think he combines well with ALB and whoever does play nine. I think he's just... He's not too faced by it. He, he looks like he's slotting straight back in like he ne- never really left. Um, so being really impressed with him. And I think mm. just having that experienced person at 10 um, really frees up Damien McKenzie when we get to see the best of him. With that performance in mind, what do you think are sort of the... What, what do you think the Chiefs are targeting in terms of results in 2020 and what do you think they'll actually achieve? Look, I think they can go all the way. I I, um, I kind of talked about them as a bit of a dark horse um, in terms of winning the competition. And a lot of these teams are when you're talking outside the Crusaders or, say, the Jaguares the last couple of years and then before that, the Lions. But the Chiefs, having been on the fringe for the last few years, I think they've got the squad now to, to put it all together and, and go deep into the finals. Um, you can see on their bench, there is a little bit of inexperience there. So if they pick up any more injuries, it's going to be testing for them, I think. But some of the young guys are stepping up. Tapia, I think, looks great at 13. Um, they just look like they've got a bit bit more of a complete team this year. And I'm, I'm excited for them, to be honest. I think bringing Gatland in was a masterstroke. Um, it's going to really bode well for their their finals campaign if they can get there, which I think they will. Um, but yeah, I was worried when Gatlin did come in that maybe they would go too defensive, be too structured, but it looks like they've found a pretty good balance there so far and hopefully yeah, hopefully they can just keep plugging away and, and keep some of that running rugby going as well. And the Crusaders, is this a blip on the radar? Is this nothing to worry about? Or do you think this is maybe a sign of something that might happen a little bit more this year with them getting edged out late. 
You know what? I think it's almost a loss that they needed to have. They've been cruising in in some ways for the regular season over the last three years. They've lost a few more big names this time around, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a a teething period for them with some of their new players that are in the starting lineup. But look, I think if if you get a full strength backline on there. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to be tough to beat for most teams. I'm not too worried about them. They'll definitely be there in the finals at the end of the season. You know, I think they'll definitely make the top four. And, yeah, I don't think there's panic at all there. I just think that the Chiefs on this day, they they outplayed them. They were the better team. And Crusaders, I think, have a lot more to show. Well, Crusaders this week are travelling up to me, actually, in Auckland to take on the Blues. Um, so they'll probably be hungry for a bit of, bit of revenge, um, and bouncing back against some, another New Zealand rival, whereas the Chiefs are actually headed over to Tokyo and to take on the Sunwolves that have just had the week off. Um, but they're expecting to rest a lot of their frontline players in line with either the All Blacks, uh, players rest policy. And I think just some others, um, well-deserved rest after that first week. Yeah, and it's tough. It's a long season, even though it's, um, you know, we feel like Super Rugby's done pretty quickly. It is a bit of a grind at times. Um, Travelling around doesn't help. It does depend on your schedule, but the Crusaders are good at managing that. The Chiefs, I think, under Gatlin will be very good at managing that as well. Um, look, I think it's just exciting this year with Super Rugby, seeing some of these new guys come through. I just want to touch on the Crusaders. I think their back row, although quite a new combination of guys with the two Toms in there and Fetu Douglas. I think that has a lot of potential. Tom Christie looks hungry. Tom Sanders looks pretty poised. And I think Fetu Douglas, if he can get his hands on the ball a bit more, he can really run some damaging lines and, and punch some holes in defence. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest area for the, the Crusaders. They need to improve on their forward play. Mm. Um, if someone like the Chiefs with a, a lighter pack can outplay you, um, that could be a bit of a warning sign, but I think at full strength again, once again, um, you know they're gonna they're gonna be tough to beat, and I think yeah, they won't be panicking. Scotty Robinson knows how to manage a team, and he'll do what's needed to get these guys up for the the Blues game. Interesting, but that is that is more or less their full full strength forward pack, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm still wondering who's the Who's the starting tight head there? I feel like Alalatoa should be starting, but yeah, that's probably one spot where they might they might be making some changes. And I still think it's second row. I think they're missing someone. I'm struggling to find the name at the moment. Quinton Strange did yeah, sustain an, an injury early on, but I don't think there's a huge amount between him and Dunshay. Dunshay's had a couple of good games. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And Luke Romano is the veteran there. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't be too worried if you had to start him either. So they got three pretty good quality locks to back up Scott Barrett. Um, again, I just think young back row, slightly inexperienced, apart from say Fetu Douglas. I think that's just the combination there is going to take a little bit of time, but they've obviously got the quality. Do you see anyone in that Crusaders team? Normally every year you'll see one or two um, Crusaders get their 
um, debut for the All Blacks in a year. Do you see anyone in this Crusaders team you think is going to debut this year? Obviously, uh, look, Bridge and Reese last year. Yeah, Bridge, Reese. I think um, the two guys I'm looking at, Braden Enno and Will Jordan, and particularly I think Will Jordan at this stage, he looks quality. Um, it's whether he can can beat out some of the, the the guys that have been there already for that back three for the All Blacks. It's a it's a tough area to to get selected in, but yeah. he looks like he's been playing for five six years. He just has that calmness about him. He's got the pace. He just has raw ability, I think, and it'll get polished up across the course of the season. And I think. Again, it's tough. Avili will probably drop back to fullback once um, Richie Moonga comes back. And then you got Will Jordan fighting it out for Sev- with Sever Reese and George Bridge for a wing spot. So difficult for him to even get into the Crusaders starting 15. But I wouldn't be surprised, if, even with limited game time, um, with maybe the All Blacks having a look at him in some of the lesser tests. Interesting. Let's briefly go through the some of the other scores from around this round. Uh, the Highlanders started off their 2020 campaign at home, but went down to a travelling Sharks team, 42 to 20. Um, it was a, what was a bit of a dominating performance by the South Africans. The Brumbies backed up another good win down at home in Canberra, 39 to 26, and the Rebels team that did show something a little bit more later in this game. Maybe they can hang. Um, with some of the Australian conference teams. Uh, in a bit of a wet one, but another disappointing performance for the Waratahs and an Australian team in Newcastle. A uh, bit worrying considering the Wallabies are playing the Pumas later on in the year, but they went down to the Blues 32-12 to in this one. And the Lions held on uh, versus a rampant Reds team that were very close to closing this one out over in... Um, Emirates Park in Joburg, 27-20, to 20, the Lions held on there. Um, the Stormers kept the Bulls to a donut, 13-0, um, in a bit of a slog fest. Uh, not, nothing too exciting coming out of that South African derby. And in probably the most dramatic fashion, the Hurricanes managed to come back late. Um, a late try to Jamie Booth through the help of some direct running from Lau Marpi helped the Hurricanes get over the Haguaras 26-23 in Buenos Aires. Just on that last one, Archer, I just had a weird feeling the Canes were going to bounce back. I didn't have the balls to tip it, but huge win for the Canes on the road. It's very difficult to, to catch the Haguaras off guard, and particularly at home, they've, they've been so strong there the last two years mm. or so. And even um, watching so this... Even watching this, I didn't think that it was going to happen. The Haguaris didn't look worried at all. But, yeah, the Canes... I think this is going to be with the Canes we see this year. They're going to be very up and down. And when they're on, God, they're on. Like, they can yeah. just score yeah. from anywhere. Um, but at times, things just don't, don't work for them. Yeah, spot on, I think. And Geordie Barrett's going to be a big part of that if he's... He kind of typifies that Hurricanes erratic play. Yeah. Um, and when he's really focused and having a game, yeah, watch out. He'll be kicking them for from 60 metres plus. He'll yeah, be you know, running the ball around. Pick. Yeah. Yeah. And he's you... got the skills. He's got the pace. He's He's got it all. And when he's focused, when he's on, 
he'll be scoring points for them. And how about TJ Perinara here as well? Um, getting getting a bit of the um, good good mate on the field award from Russell Russavenga. Really happy with him when he went over and just got up and went, nah, I didn't get that down. And Rasta was just shocked that a rugby player was just admitting the truth to him. Well, it's the it's the same as you'd say with say Adam Gilchrist in cricket, just walking when he's nicked it. It's just the honourable thing to do, and you don't see it very much these days. You're hoping that a lot of these guys are hoping that even if they go upstairs, they'll get the try water if you can't see it or something. But he just wanted to get on with the play, and I think all credit to him. We should see more of that. Keep the game fast. Keep it going. Yeah. The only other time I can remember that happening is Rohan Janssen van Rensburg doing it um, a couple of years ago, <laughs> one of my personal favourite players. Um, shout shout out to the fridge on wheels there. Um, yeah, I miss him. Bring him back. I always hear little murmurs about Rohan coming back at some point, but I have yet to see it. Let's go and have a look at the results of the second round of the Six Nations as well, and this is up your way, Tobes. Uh, and Ireland took it over Wales, obviously the defending Grand Slam champions. Um, that was over in Aviva, but Ireland looking on form at the moment. 24-14, they took this one. Um, and maybe despite a bit of a down year last year, they're, they're managing to bring back some of that um, 2018 Irish form. Because uh, they they looked pretty pretty settled in this one for a lot of it, um, Wales suffering their first loss, and then up in Murrayfield, want in what probably would have been one of the most boring games between these two countries, and they have they have a history of this. But for seventy minutes, it was uh, three all until England finally got a got through a try through um, Ellis Genge, um, and England wins this one thirteen six in a very uh, hard fought one up there in Scotland, um, and then France, after obviously beating England a week ago, um, turned up against Italy um, again in Paris, and I mean they they let the Italians sort of stick with them for a lot of this game and um, did win in the end, but only thirty five to twenty two in what was probably a bit closer than a lot of people thought it should be. Yeah, I didn't even see the the France game at all, but was very surprised by the scoreline. Um, not that they're crashing back to earth, but people were getting very carried away with that French performance against England. And they've still got a few tough games to, to get through if they're going to claim their their t- first title for quite a while. You know, they've got to beat Wales in at the Principality in Cardiff, and they've got to beat, obviously, Ireland at home. So they, they're going to have a, a really tough run, but... This is a fr- exciting French side, and if they can play like they did in the first week, they'll beat anyone. Obviously, there's a week off now for the Six Nations. They don't come back until the 23rd of February, but two massive games that will come up. Then, as you said, Wales hosting France and England hosting Ireland at Twickenham, which is always a exciting clash uh, for those two big teams. Yeah, huge. And look, Six Nations... When there's this parity, I think it's really interesting to see what teams can do. And performances do kind of emerge over the course of the, say, couple of months that the the tournament's on. Um, And we've had rumblings, Arch, I think you probably touch on this either now or later, that South Africa is poised to join the Six Nations at some point in the next five years. 
Yeah, let's let's broach that now since you brought it up. Um, obviously, there's been talks and murmurs about South Africa and South Africans' provincial teams wanting to join European teams. Obviously, it's already happened uh, with the Cheetahs and Kings joining the Pro 14. Um, and now they've come out saying that they want to leave the rugby championship and they want to join the Six Nations. Um, this is uh, probably the second or third team that's sort of come out in the last couple of weeks or there have been rumours about joining the Six Nations um, because they've been talking about Georgia joining it, talking about South Africa joining it. Um, I have looked into this. There is still um, binding contracts between South Africa, Sansa and the Rugby Championship with broadcast deals through to 2025. So they did sort of mention after the next World Cup, which is 2023. So straight off the bat, it seems a bit unlikely. But what do you, what do you think about the that idea? Do you think would that just ruin the rugby championship completely if South Africa left? Look, I think it would tarnish it dramatically with the rivalry that, particularly at the moment, the New Zealand and South Africa have. But just the overall strength of the competition is going to take a, a massive nosedive if we see the Wallabies not in great form, if, if they're struggling a bit, then you just got New Zealand dominating the whole competition. And who would be replacing South Africa? You'd probably be looking at Japan or you'd be looking at someone like Fiji. Um, I just think it really would take a lot of the shine off the history of the competition. And, and just, um, yeah, if you would compare it to what, say, the six or seven nations in the Northern Hemisphere would be in the competition, that would put forward, I, I just think that the rugby championship wouldn't be able to complete, compete at all. Um, and it does mean probably if they were to go at some point that Super Rugby would be disbanded as well in terms of any South African team. So you'd see a dramatic shift in both international and, you know, these domestic competitions, provincial competitions. Um, so I hope it doesn't happen. I like the, the makeup of both competitions as they are. Six Nations, Eddie, Eddie Jones talked about it with the countries that are in this competition. Um, there's a lot of history over, the, you know, not just in rugby, between these countries, France, obviously, Italy and the UK. There's just so much history between those countries and that adds to the theatre of the competition. You saw that with England going up to Edinburgh on the weekend and it was a really hostile environment. There's obviously a long history between Scotland and England. And I think just adding South Africa to the mix, the only way it makes sense is for time zones. I don't really see how it makes sense apart from that. And they can try and implant more of their teams into these Northern Hemisphere provincial competitions. But to, to say that they're going to essentially remove their teams from Super Rugby and then add themselves to a Six Nations competition. Just don't see it happening at the moment. I hope this is just more of a rumour than anything. Because um, I heard some other crazy claims that Fiji could come in as well and play out of France and just strange offerings. And look, I think as is, there's a good rivalry between Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere we can make it work. We made it work over 25 years, and I think it could, should continue that way. Yeah, I, I think it's probably nothing more than South Africa throw, trying to throw its weight around and trying to, whether it's trying to get some other deal or something in place through Sansa, um to give them more sort of power in this. 
because they're of, always been known to be the probably the biggest power um, behind Sansa and seem to influence a lot of decisions being made. But I don't I don't think there's much um, bite to this sort of bite and this um, this hubbub they're sort of throwing up at the moment. Yeah, and you'd, you'd have to think what is the what is the um, objective of theirs? Is it just money? Are they worried about the travel? Are they worried about the, you know, televising rights and what money they can get with that if they're playing at odd times in New Zealand and Australia and whether if they streamline that with the Northern Hemisphere, um, with the time zones they play in, that they'll get more money for their broadcasting rights. I don't know. It's just, I think it probably does come all down to money rather than... um, thinking they're going to challenge themselves in the Six Nations. They get challenged enough by us in New Zealand. So I hope it doesn't happen, Arch. It's going to be – it would dramatically shift the rugby landscape and not for the better, in my opinion. I haven't prepared you for this question at all, but since we're sort of here now, do you have like an ideal Southern Hemisphere rugby competition that you would – put in place whether that's more teams whether that's the same teams whether you would change the schedules at all how many times people are playing each other do you have anything better that you could offer um well look if you are going to expand the rugby championship i would be looking at firstly japan i think that's the natural way to go i think with the money that flows through their rugby system at the moment with the amount of interest after the world cup and with the performances they put in at their World Cup, I think they've come to a point where they're regularly entering into the top 10 now. Um, they're beating some of the top-tier nations, and I think they deserve their opportunity to be showcased. Um, so I think Japan is an area of expansion we need to look at, particularly now that the Sunwolves are going to bow out. I think we need to have some sort of, um, yeah, just presence there in in japan and i think the rugby championship would be a great way of doing it i would keep the home and away schedule if you can i know that once you expand to you know if it were to get up to five six seven teams playing home and away games may not be tenable really and that's Mm. what the six nations have to deal with they alternate between you know on and off years whether they play at home or not so there is a consistent schedule to that but you don't get the home and away every year. Um, but that just depends on the amount of teams. The other point, probably other nation I'd be looking at would be Fiji. And if you don't do Fiji, you need some sort of Pacific Island team that combines to play in the rugby championship. Um, it's um, it's obviously not great to, to break up, say, Samoa, Tonga and Fiji and combine them. I think they'd be an awesome team, but... Does that take away from their international play um, when looking at World Cups and things like that? Yeah, like what benefit does that really gain to a team that is going to be different for the international tournaments? So they're having to always come together late. I think, yeah, the benefit would be just um, having that experience, having that kind of, I guess, being showcased on the the top stage every year, Mm. but Again, you don't have probably the combinations forming for their individual international teams. And 
I would like to see, say, Fiji come in and then maybe expand from there, um, depending on the strength of the teams. But we, we need investment into the Pacific Islands, and I think we still want to have more investment into Japan internationally. Mm-hmm. So they would be the two. And then if down the line, probably looking at the US, West Coast, or even Hawaii, something like that, where a US team could play out of. But I don't think they're at the level where they could enter into a rugby championship and not get thrashed every week. Yeah, that sounds like it's still a fair while away. All right, we'll leave that for now. Um, Let's look towards round three of Super Rugby. It's coming up fast, and let's have a look at what we have to deal with and what we have to tip this week, Tobes. Once again, um, GJH Lee Bell got top of our tipping stocks on the running rugby pod pool. Um, I was close on his heels, but... We haven't managed to top it yet, so still need room for improvement here this week. Let's kick it off. Blues versus Crusaders at Eden Park on Friday night. Look, I think if I was willing to tip the Waratahs against the Blues, that probably gives you an indication of where I think the Blues are at. I think they're better than they were, but Crusaders are another you level. Were wrong. You were wrong about the Waratahs and Blues, so... Yeah, but it, I think there's some truth to that, even though and the, now the Blues, Blues did perform home. well. Yeah, I don't think it's going to matter unless Bodie pops up. I think the Crusaders <laughs> are going to bounce back from a loss against the Chiefs and, and probably punish the Blues here. Yeah, I I can't I can't really create an idea where um, the Crusaders don't win this one. I think the Blues forwards played very well um, last week versus the Tars. They really put a lot of pressure on the Tars forwards and on their backs with some good rush defense i think they're going to have to do a lot of the same to try and stifle this crusaders attack um if they can do that and play some really solid set piece maybe they do keep themselves in it maybe get some a couple of early points and try and push the crusaders but yeah i don't i don't foresee an 80 minute performance out of them that's gonna that's gonna end with a, a with a win so i think crusaders take it Are you off to this one arch I'm just trying to plan my um, Friday night, but I think I think I'll definitely try to get out there for it. Um, yeah, yeah, got to. I think it'd be a good one. See the Crusaders and um, see what they look like in real life. Coming up after that, two teams in the Australian Conference, both of whom haven't registered a win as yet. Um, the Rebels and the Waratahs have suffered two defeats so far in this 2020 season. Um, two teams that were pipped to be top of the conference last year um, and definitely have had a bit of a fall from grace and um, some concerns over whether these guys are going to actually show up in this 2020 season. Yeah, and I was, I was very worried having watched the, the Rebels-Brumbies game just last night, seeing that on replay. Rebels looked all over the place in the first half there. They were able to bounce back and kind of started to look like they lifted their intensity after half-time. Dave Vessels must just be so frustrated. They lost, obviously, Reese Hodge and Matsumura quite early to, to injuries. Did you think that made them don't... worse? Um, look, I'm still not a fan of Tamura there at 10. I, I don't think they were that much Tamu worse. There. Yeah, you're like, okay, Bill, Billy Meeks is stepping into 10. And although mm. he just kept getting in rucks and not actually standing out as a 5'8", the back line didn't seem to function any worse, so... Not so sure what that says about Matt Tamura. I, I think he should be playing 12, but then you've got, where do you put Billy Meeks after that? You're not going to put him at 10. 
there's just they've got a lot of issues with the depth in certain positions and I think it's gonna still force them to play Timur at ten, but I'm not yeah. sure that's yeah. doing them doing them yeah, giving them the best opportunities to succeed. Mm. I was I did like Ryan Lauren's um, um the reserve nine previously of Western Force who's been away in Japan. I thought he was quite a good um looked quite good there at nine. I think he was a little bit more especially not having a sort of more identifiable ten in this. Um, it was quite a good stabilising force in terms of directing play. Yeah, strong presence. And as they mentioned on the telecast, you got players player over there in Kanetsu, I think, in Japan. Um, so he had a really strong season over there. Um, yeah, look, these are two teams that are both struggling. Um, really had a bit of confidence that the Waratahs could come out and beat the Blues. Wasn't to be. I thought they looked decent against the Crusaders, but that tight five is still a bit of a worry for me. And when Rob Simmons doesn't play to his full potential, you're relying on Tom Staniforth, Robbie Abel, um, and two props that in one in Tom Robertson that hasn't had a lot of rugby over the last 12 months or so. And HJH is still a young prop now moving to the tight head. Um, I'm I'm a yeah. little bit worried about the, the the front five there and the back row when they're not on point. You know, you've got Hooper doing as much as he can, but that forward pack really lacked punch and they're going to need to really step it up here against the Rebels because both teams are under the pump. It's really tough to call this one, actually. I'm somewhat leading towards the Rebels. Ooh. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, because it's both teams that we keep talking about, their forward pack just not performing and not giving anything really for their backs, both of whom ha- have a quality backline, and we d- we do expect um, a full-strength backline out of the Rebels. Um, the Tars, probably the same, though I've yet to hear about uh, young gun Marky Mark, whether he'll be back from his um, diving try um, against the Blues this weekend, but... What, you thinking you're going Rebels? Um, look, front okay. front five for each, tight five for each pack. Yeah. Weak. Um, lots of issues there. Back row for each team, hard to find places for all their talent. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a really tight one. I still would say that the Waratahs on paper are a better team, but playing down in there in Melbourne... I think it's going to be really tight. At this stage, I'll need to see the team sheets, Arch, but at this stage, I'm leaning towards the Rebels. doesn't feel right, though. Waratahs have won um, 10 of the last 11 games versus the Rebels. Uh, last time Rebels winning was back in 2016. So well, they, they have had the wood on them for multiple years, um, and it didn't matter whether it was in Amy Park or um, up in Sydney. So, I mean... I think I'm leaning Waratahs just based on the history. Um, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not really looking forward to this game, to be honest. I don't think that it's going to be the the greatest spectacle. We had this fixture last year, if you remember, Arch, and it wasn't. It was the same way. It wasn't a great game to watch down there at Amy Park. Um, let's hope for the, the Rebels fans for or for some of the Tars fans to get down there. It's, it's a better game of rugby. But these two teams are desperate. I'm sure both coaches, particularly um, Vessels, will be really, really keen to turn the season around because you know they've seen the last two years they've started so strongly and then capitulated 
what's going to happen if they lose their first three or four? Where do they go from there? I yeah. don't see it ending well for that team. Yeah. So, it's desperate a, times. Definitely a fear for, yeah, all of these coaches. Um, next, we have the Sunwolves coming back, obviously, after that round one performance that shocks the rest of Super Rugby. Um, they've had their bye and they're back and they're going to be versing what sounds like a bit of an understrength Chiefs team, but should still have plenty of bite to it. But the Sunwolves, obviously the big story, um, only came together sort of a couple of weeks before round one, but were able to put together such a um, good performance and a, a performance that it really entertained a lot of people and kept up with what we know about the Sunwolves from previous years. What do you see happening in this one, Tobes? Chiefs, confident. Their squad will be happy. They're traveling up to Japan. As long as they get, get too distracted about you know, the things apart from rugby that are they're going to be, you know, surrounding them. I think the Chiefs should do this pretty easily. Sunwolves, I see them regressing. Um, the bye would have come at a, not a great time for them after riding high, beating the, the Rebels week one. The last thing they needed, a week off. And the Chiefs are hot. Uh, lots of points in this one, I reckon. Chiefs might put on seven or eight tries here if they've got a decent team out there. Yeah, no, I can see that as well. Um, next, we have the Hurricanes returning home for their first home game of the season um, and taking on the Sharks. So one of these rare occasions where um, we get the South African team having not travelled, getting to versus the home team um, that's just having to get back from South America over the course of this week. Yeah, again, tough for the Hurricanes to back up but they've had a good win over there in Buenos Aires. Sharks on tour, though. They're hot stuff. They did it last year, I think. They're doing it again. So um, it's tough to tell because the Highlanders are a little bit under strength. So that was still a decent win by the Sharks, but I think the Highlanders will be the weakest New Zealand team. I think on paper, still take the Canes, but that Sharks back line... Puts the puts the fear into you a little bit with the the amount of talent they got out wide. Yeah, again, and it's there's a few teams in this now that um, in this competition that seem to have these sort of hot shot backlines, and you just match you watch the backlines against of these both these teams, and they're riddled with international players, um, and then the forward packs are a little bit a, a bit of a coalition of of no names that you're not quite as um, familiar with um, even mm. with the Hurricanes to have had a, a couple of names that have been there for many years but no one that's really been a big standout for them um, I'm, I'm not sure I see the Hurricanes winning this I think it's going to be a very close one I could see the Sharks actually getting up for it We they are as you say a team that can, can tour well um, I'm, I'm going to have to wait and see a little bit for the team list, but I'm, I'm leaning towards tipping the Sharks by just uh, two two or three points here. Next game we have... Bold call, Arch. Bold call, that... but it's... um Yeah, look, when a team's travelling like that, doing the long stretch from Africa through South America and back to, to Wellington, that's tough. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way around, right around the world. Um, Next, we have the Brumbies getting a third straight game at home at GIO Stadium, and it must be nice to start off the season like this um, and getting to take on the Highlanders this week in a game that you'd expect them to be able to comfortably take and, and get off to a 3-0 and season. 
Yeah, look, I think the the Highlanders, although they did go down by say twenty to the Sharks, um, had the bye week one, so they haven't had a lot of rugby already this year. The Brumbies are, are riding high, look pretty good across the park. I can't complain with the rug uh, the Brumbies at all. Like they they've got that strong foundation of their set piece and their forward play. And then they're, they're doing some interesting things out wide in the backs as well. And I, I see them as a complete team. I think the coaching is has been great there. They, they're able to play to their systems, but all, also then put in some trick plays. And everyone seems to be happy, having a good time, playing some good rugby. So I'm hoping their fortunes can continue here. I think it'll still be a bit of a grind against a, a Highlanders team with some good players in it and some newbies there. Um, but, yeah, you got to take the Brumbies here, I think. At home, I think they'll continue the run. And, yeah, it should be a, should be an entertaining one, hopefully, with some more tries from them and guys like Tom Wright really lighting it up. Yeah, agreed. I think it'll be another entertaining one. Um, then we go over to a South African um, rivalry again, and we have the Lions hosting the Stormers. So Stormers, who we've been tipping, is probably one of the form teams um, between them and the Sharks in South Africa. And the Lions, who just got to get away with that one um, versus Reds, but they're never an easy target, um, never an easy prospect to go up to Johannesburg and versus Lions team. Um, they they just don't let off um, and don't let you get away from them quickly in any time. Yeah, that's, I mean, Schumann, guys like Schumann, guys like Elton Yanchis is still there. It's a, it's a strange team, but they still... On their day, they can bring some good intensity. I still think the Stormers are the next tier up here in South Africa and, in my mind, the best team there in that conference, apart from the Jaguars. So, look, I think, again, the Lions may be suffering a bit of a loss this week. They were lucky to get away with a win against the Reds, and I think the Stormers will be too good. Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right there. It did concern me a little bit, the fact that, the Stormers weren't able to put the Bulls away a little bit more convincingly last week. Um, so it's just... Those it's, jerseys, mate. It's just what... Every when they time, go terrible. Can we just stop with this? Like, it's just, it's getting to me, honestly. It's like when I see both those teams wearing those jerseys, I want to switch the game off straight away. Well, you'll probably get to see those jerseys again this week. You'll get to see the Spider-Man Lions jerseys versus the, yeah, versus the um, Solar Stormers jerseys. So gross, please. Like, you're just damaging the brand. Anyway. It is is a bit sad when their original jerseys, at least the Stormers' original jersey, is pretty iconic and pretty great, isn't it? Um, Yeah, exactly. To then go to that, yeah, go to those other Don't mess with it. Mm-hmm. There's not even a Marvel movie at the moment coming out or anything being promoted, and they're just like, move on, it's been done. <laughs> it's not rugby. It's not rugby league. I keep saying it. It's true. All right, I'm taking Stormers there, and then we final game of the round. The Haguaras again, like the Brumbies, get three um, games at home to start the year. Um, this time the Reds, so it doesn't get easier for this Reds team. Um, big travel prospects and. Is there any chance they can take one over versus the Haguaras, or is it just too rare that the Haguaras will leave will lose two in a row at home? I think it's too rare. There's, I mean, this this Reds team does have an opportunity here, but Haguaras losing, like I said, they 
they're going to be very, very disappointed with that against the Canes, and they'll be really up for this one. And having seen the Reds put in a pretty decent performance against the Lions, they were abrasive, they were physical. They had a few, you know, silly errors and turnovers there that led to the Lions scoring some points. I'm really quite impressed with what the Reds are doing at the moment. I think they all look like they're up for, for a tough game. Their, their scrum just looks dominant. Um, Haguaris, though, man, like they're just, they're a really good team. And I'm, I'm not sure this Reds team is, is quite there on their level yet. Um, I think they're building. I think there's good things to come. They do need to work out who's going to be the long-term option there at 10. I don't want to see them shifting around to Hegarty, to Isaac Lucas, to Jock. Like, let's just pick one and stick with them. And I understand that Isaac Lucas is a smaller guy there and maybe they're trying to protect him from, from the Lions, but they don't get any smaller when you're playing the Jaguars. Yeah, that I back don't, row is menacing. Yeah. So I, what, do you, what do you think? Do they play Jock? Do they play Lucas? Where, where do you see them going? I was surprised that they took Isaac Lucas out for this game, I think it was probably a mistake. I don't think that they added really anything to their arsenal having Jock at 10. I think he played fine at 10, but then putting Hamish Stewart in at 12, who's not a normal sort of inside center anyway, or second five, whatever you want to call him. Um, I don't think that added a huge amount for it and maybe shifted where the um, Reds were focusing sort of their attack in that sort of um, 12 channel then instead. But yeah, I'd, I'd much prefer to see Isaac Lucas, you know, pick and stick, stay with him. Um, he's a guy that's got a lot of talent. He's fearless. Um, he's not going to shy away from the contact. And you never know that someone's going to underestimate him um, late in games. And they're going to be a little bit lazy. And when he does choose to run, he's going to go through a gap and he's going to create something for you. So I'd like to see them go back to him. Weird to see Stewart line up at 12, I agree. And after having Brad Thorne persist with him in, in previous years at 10 and, you know, saying that, look, he's going to develop into the long-term number 10. And now you move, you know, James O'Connor, who's well-known at 12 in the last few years at least, and you're shifting them around and switching positions. The only reason I could think that would happen is that they trust Stewart's defense a lot more there at 12 which I think was a standout for him he was putting some good hits on um, and whether say Isaac Lucas had a niggle and they just didn't want to risk him playing the 480 yeah. Um, but yeah I think look I want to see Lucas there for a, a good amount of games there at 10 um, and I want to see Jock at 12 I think the combination with Patea can develop well um, but by shifting these guys around, I think it's just going to impact the guys outside them as well. So hopefully the Reds come up with a combination they're happy with and stick with it because I think they're going to need that, particularly if they lose three in a row here. So I'm taking the Jaguares. I think the Reds will be fired up. But I think, again, it's going to be a bridge too far, which is disappointing. I think their opportunity was against the, the Lions. And this may be you know, a 0-3 and three start for them. Yeah, which we predicted was a, a pretty good possibility and it was a really tough way to start off the year going on tour uh, and three games on the road. Um, but I think I think you're right. And I think um, the Reds, let's, let's appreciate that Isaac Lucas has a shot at um, a Wallabies 10 jersey this year. 
if he gets the opportunity. So I know the standout at the moment is obviously Noah Lalesio after these first two games. He's been absolutely perfectly set up. And that's because he's had the right support around him, a good, strong Brumbies pack and some dynamic players around him taking some of the responsibility in terms of power with some of the setup and Simone with some of the kicking. And that's probably not something that Isaac Lucas has had so far. But he mm. could well develop into a, a standout sort of number 10 and really challenge for um, a Wallaby position. My only question with it is, is he in the same situation as Damian McKenzie last year? Are they trying to force a square peg into a round hole? Are they trying to make him a 10 when he's more of a 15? Um, and I don't know. I just think the depth at number 10 in Australia at the moment obviously is a little bit thin, but it's exciting to see these young guys come through. And I think over the next two or three years, we're going to have a good crop of number 10s there. It's just going through this teething process again of having these guys get the experience they need to step up to the next level. Very fair. And I guess we'll, we'll keep a watch on and see whether... He does get any opportunities later in games to play a bit of 15 or if he does just look like he's struggling for that space that he needs. Um, Only thing we should mention before we go is um, the other competition that's kicking off and that's Major League Rugby. We've mentioned it over the last couple of years and it's a competition that's blossoming and it's it's getting bigger and bigger names um, getting into this year and a few new teams with the New England Free Jacks and Atlanta Rugby and... What is it? Austin Jabronis um, joining the competition. <laughs> Gilgronis? Negronis? What is this? I, this is the first I've heard of them, man. Like, what is... It's a weird <laughs> name. I'm, I don't know what that is. Is it a sandwich? What is that? Yeah. They're definitely getting some bigger They're... names into the competition, hey? Well, that's the thing. I was looking at, like, a photo of the different jerseys and teams that are there. They've got up to, what are they, up to 12 teams now or something? It's They're expanding quite quickly, um, which is good, I think, you know, as long as they, they've got the money behind it and uh, these t- teams don't kind of exist for one or two years and then disappear into the ether, I think it's a good thing. Um, and they're expanding into markets, obviously, that have some sort of appetite for rugby. Um, you've got those... It's been a competition that's been established for a number of years now. You've got the teams there like Seattle Seawolves and, um, yeah, Colorado Raptors, Houston Sabercats, NOLA Gold, um, and Rugby United New York that are quite strong. I think it's just um, it's going to take a number of years for it really to, to be fully flourishing. Um, but we like to see that investment, as we've said before, into rugby in the U.S., and not just have them focused on their sevens program. So good to see you got um, Bastero there in Rugby United New York, um, carrying a bit of extra weight as he usually does. So that's always entertaining to watch. Um, and they stream some of their games live on Facebook. So if you're keen, check it out. Have a look on their their main page there. They'll they'll put the link up, and you can watch it for free. So that's always nice. And not only um, Bastero, will you see Drew Mitchell's coming out of retirement to play for New York as well in this season as well. Yeah, yet to see him be over there yet. I know he's been fired from Fox. What a shame that is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, he's um, he needs a job. So he's obviously te- going to team up with be- guys like Ben Foden. Um, Probably more concerned with his off-field performance than his on-field performance, but mm. they'll be over there in the Big Apple, living it up, 
playing yeah. some rugby. Joining um, other players like Chris, Chris Robshaw, Simon Zebo, former English and Irish players as well. So there's there's a fair few big names that are showing up on these teams now. And guys really in the you know depths of the twilight of their careers, but at the same time, it's um you need that to kick a competition off. You need some some well known people involved, and although the standard probably has a long way to go, I think it's um. It's something that it's we right saw with the MLS. Yeah, it's the right direction. The MLS took a while to get going, and now it's it's flourishing. And I think rugby can do the same. The US has mm-hmm. the population and and some of the audience there to to get some momentum and and really build into the future for rugby. Mm-hmm. Well, make sure you check out those games if you see them streaming live as well. Um, that's really all we need to cover this week. Make sure to get onto social media. Um, and check us out if you have that time. That's at Running Rugby Podcast and at Running Rugby Pod on Instagram and Twitter, respectively. And make sure that you have pressed the subscribe button for us. Um, let your friends know we are on all the major podcasting services, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and the rest. Um, thanks, everyone, for stopping by. Hopefully you enjoyed this slightly revised format of uh, the Running Rugby Podcast. Cheers, Arch. It's, it's been a pleasure, and we'll get the, the three of us together hopefully next week. Let's hope so. Um, but until then, mate, keep on running. Mm-hmm.